I had to add this episode at the end of March to close our series on women making history because a stupid virus is not going to stop us from making history. This book is really important for you to know about. Michaela Kiner has written a book about a bunch of unstoppable women. I just got my copy of Female Firebrands today and I wanted you to know about this so you have something to read while you're laying around the house. <laughs> just kidding. Well, the world is not going to stop for Michaela Kiner. <laughs> we are moving ahead as working moms talking about the book that she just launched in January called Female Firebrands. And if that doesn't fire up a woman, I don't know what does. And we were just talking about the fact that so many of the fabulous um, Women's History Month events have been shut down thanks to COVID-19. But we are unstoppable, aren't we? <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna let a little virus keep us from doing the work of creating good in the world. So Michaela, give us the 411 on who you are as a native of Seattle. Um, um, and gosh, you grew up on Capitol Hill. It sounds fantastic. Um, tell us what your background is and what inspired you to write this book. Well, thanks, Donna. Thank you for having me. And as I said, when we started off, I'm just so glad that podcasts can still happen in the midst of all the in-person and other live events being closed, as well as all the restaurants and cafes are now takeout only in Seattle. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so it's, it's an exciting time. Yeah, I'm a native Seattleite. As you said, I grew up on Capitol Hill and that didn't used to be special, but after I went away to college and came back, it was kind of unique. And I noticed when I would introduce myself and say I'm from Seattle and it was kind of like in New York, how no one's from New York and people go, oh, really? You're from here? And I was like, oh, I didn't know it was such a special thing, but now I know. Um, yeah, so that, that's where I started out. I spent a number of years in New York City and moved to San Diego after graduate school, but ended up coming back home to work for Microsoft yeah. when I finished graduate school. And I've been here for the most part ever since. The, uh, the only other thing I did was when I was at Amazon, my family and I went and spent three years on assignment in India, which was very fantastic and is yeah. probably a whole other conversation. Yes. But yeah, <laughs> it was well, great. Well, maybe I'll really... have you in on a, a, a different episode on cultural intelligence. Well... Oh, I'd love it. I, I learned so much, I think, just when you're outside of your own culture um, and when you stand out and suddenly we were the ones who looked different from everyone. And uh, I'll just, the one thing I will share when we moved back, my kids were seven and 10 when we came back to the US and we'd be on the road and they'd, they'd say, why isn't everyone looking at us and waving at us? And I said, well, because here you look like everyone else, but they weren't accustomed to that. Yeah. But um, I, you know, I spent the majority of my professional career in human resources. And I always say, I came by it honestly, because both of my parents are employment attorneys on the plaintiff's side. Wow. That means they're the ones who sue companies when uh, things go wrong, including things like harassment and discrimination. So my career path wasn't linear, it wasn't all planned out, but I really did grow up at the dinner table hearing these conversations about the things that happen at work. And I know it planted a seed for me just thinking, there's got to be a better way where, you know, people aren't behaving in that way and work is just a place where people can be happy and productive. So yeah. doing HR, I feel like I came full circle. That's great. 
Well, so you've been in HR, you, you grew up understanding that language, understanding um, what happens in the workplace, the kinds of things that require attorneys in the workplace. But, um, you know, I found in my coaching career that the, the management of people resources is changing, that the demands of the workplace are different than they used to be. What are you seeing in terms of a workplace, a workforce demanding kind of different terms than they used to? I'm really encouraged by that. A lot of people give millennials a hard time, but there's also this big upside to millennials. The way I see it is they have their personal priorities. They demand flexibility and work-life balance. They want to work with mission and purpose. And I kind of just think, don't we all? I mean, isn't that what, what we That's all exactly. want at the core? Exactly what I say. When I first read a book that when the company I was working for, Center for Creative Leadership, put out a book on uh, the millennials, I said, they don't want anything different than what I want. So the, the difference is in managing a, a workforce, we have to manage differently. We can't manage this emerging workforce according to the old hierarchical rules, right? That's right. That's right. And I think a lot of boomers who are maybe putting the millennials down, I always think, well, maybe the boomers are just envious because while they likely did want many of those same things, it wasn't encouraged. You um, did not ask for it. That would have been seen yeah. as very entitled. Uh -huh. And you were just put your career first, put your, you know, you should get promoted. You should advance, advance, advance. And a, a lot of people, you talk about coaching, you know, a lot of people mid-late career or who are coming in for transition coaching, it's because often they were doing something that wasn't rewarding, wasn't fulfilling. They had really put a lot of personal passions and interests and relationships aside. And that can lead to a lot of emptiness and, and a lot of other things later in life. So uh, I'm a fan of the millennials to that extent. In terms of managing them, you know, it's funny because I, I do a lot of work and talk a lot with working moms as well. And I always say what's good for moms is good for humans, yes. which is, again, a bit of flexibility, maybe a little more remote work, you know, not having to show up in the office every morning and stay until evening if that's not required to get your work done. Right. I think millennials are similar. And there's this, this extra layer, you know, I, I'm in a co-working space. And in my previous co-working space, I had met a millennial guy who was a consultant. And he was telling me how he would speak to his boss and he would say, you know, I have these friendships and relationships and hobbies that are really important to me. And I know sometimes we have to work extra and pitch in and I'm fine with that. But if it goes on too long and it eats into my personal goals, then we're going to have to have a conversation. Yeah. There are people who see that as very entitled, but the flip side is, I think that's really healthy. And, you know, why should we let work take over from everything else that we do and all the other people who we care about? Yeah. Yeah. It, and when we can bring our whole life to work and our whole self, then we actually um, bring so much more to the table. Yeah. That's kind of a premise of the coaching program I teach. Um, and, and, you know, the old, um, it's, it's now become cliche that employee engagement averages around 60 to 66%. It hasn't really moved in the past five years, as far as I know. And my premise is that most people don't bring 100% to work because we, 
we're we're not uh, nurturing the whole package, you know. So well, it's an interesting time with uh, talking about bringing your whole self and with COVID nineteen, which has virtually, I mean, everybody who can that I know is working from home, is remote, is using video conferencing, and things happen. I was on a call today. I'm an advisor to a company. We were on our advisory board call. I wasn't muted. My daughter got a break from online school and ran through the house screaming. And uh, I was like, oh, sorry, everyone. That's my teenager. But you know, you're hearing all these stories of kids wandering behind the camera and pets are showing up. And yeah. it's bringing down some boundaries and barriers that are somewhat artificial between yeah. work and home. And what I'm hearing from just leaders and peers is, well, I'm getting a glimpse into people's lives. I've met all of their dogs for the first time and right. I'm just getting this better picture of who they are as humans. And I, I can only imagine that, that that's good and that that's going to have uh, positive results and that I hope we don't forget how effective and productive we can be working yeah. from home, being flexible, because it's something that so many people want and need. And it's having these great benefits for the environment as well. Right. Absolutely. I, I'm glad you brought up pets because I used to, a lot of us at my former office used to say we, we were campaigning to allow dogs at work because of all of the, the benefits of having a dog in the room. And uh, when they, uh, they couldn't pass it because we had a dining room and it had to do more with food regulations and stuff. So I brought, um, I brought work home to the dog and now I'm, I work at home. You see my office there. I, I think it's fantastic to, um, to show all the, the things that happen in normal life. I mean, no one's screaming in the background, but if my kids are passing in and out the front door or my husband's going out the front door, this is life and it's not really disturbing the process of work. In fact, I think it helps us to feel like we're part of a, a team. We're more of a, uh, a collaborative than just, you know, a title and a, and a role, right? That is true. And I, I think of, um, sometimes at work we overlook the importance of connection and relationship, yeah. but I think of my own personal experiences where, you know, the, the amount of work I would do or the effort I would put in for someone because I knew they cared about me and liked me and trusted me as a person, you know, not just because, well, they're my boss or they're my client or I have to do this thing. And yeah. there's research about this in primary care as well, that people are far less likely to sue their primary care provider, that person who they have a relationship with, even if there was malpractice. Right. And so I think about that, you know, there, we need mission and vision and values and all of those things at work. But at the end of the day, I think what, what drives people to give that 110% versus 60, it, it is, it's personal. It really happens on a personal level. Yeah. Being known and, and seen and heard just as a human, even if you, you don't get your way. It's so funny. I, I did a survey with a steering committee I'm on and um, one of the women said, I told you what I thought we should do. And I said, well, I'm sorry if I, if I indicated that asking for your opinion constituted taking your opinion as a policy. It's just a, um, but there's, there's a contribution that we all have to make and then we need to average it out. Um, it's just part of teamwork. And I, what I want to dial it back to the book and 
why specifically you decided to write about female firebrands. What's going on with um, women? You talk about women from diverse backgrounds, including women of color, immigrants, and the LGBTQA. I can't always say that right. Um, you know, facing specific challenges in their careers. I, you know that we've come a long way, but we still haven't overcome all the hurdles. So what, what was the, the motive for the book? Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, we have seen progress and we've got to celebrate the progress at the same time. And I really wrote the book because of both my own experiences where, you know, I was excluded from meetings or I was ignored or interrupted or, you know, I had an idea and the guy next to me repeated the same idea and, and got a lot of interest, right? Whereas nobody responded to my idea, all of these things that happened to me. But because of my role in companies and getting to oversee and interact with a lot of different people, I saw the same thing happening to women repeatedly. And while there are women in leadership positions today, there are women CEOs and founders and board members, there aren't that many. And there certainly aren't that many compared to the men in those positions and the opportunities that should be out there, whether you look at how many women CEOs we have of large companies or the very small percent of funding, uh, around 2% that women founders get as opposed to men. So there's just, there's this huge inequity and it's pervasive uh, at work and in, in our societies. Uh, it was my personal experience that really made me want to write the book. And then an event I was at where several women spoke and gave career advice and I watched as women from the audience sort of lined up behind each of these women. and you know, wanted to talk to whoever's story had resonated the most with them. And that was what really made me think, okay, there's a power in telling the story of multiple women because it'll be, first of all, more, more interesting, more different facets, but also more relatable to more people. So I just started brainstorming a list of who are women that I really admire and who are mission driven. And it became a long list very quickly. So the, the only hard part was really narrowing it down. And um, yeah, finding just a, a group of amazing women to speak to. That's amazing. So, uh, it, you know, that just tells me, it just, it's a good reminder that there are a lot of really amazing women out in the world. I think every single one of us listening could probably write a book about 12 women who have made a significant impact in our lives. And so the lesson to me is, um, consume stories like this and let them be a lesson, um, part of our blueprint, but also be looking constantly for who else, um, what greatness is right around me. Um, I think there's so many stories to be told. I love that you've done this. Um, and you know, if, if, if you're anything like me, um, getting to write a book on all these really amazing women, um, would feel to me like kind of a selfish pursuit because I get one-on-one -on -one time with each of them. <laughs> it was, you know, it was such a great excuse to have an hour-long conversation with women, some of the women I knew, some I had just heard of, but also to talk about really deep topics that we don't always talk about. So even right. women I had known for years, we don't often sit down and say, well, how has money affected you? Or what's your Me Too story? Uh, what are challenges that you had to overcome at work? So they were fascinating conversations and I enjoyed them so much. I, I just launched the podcast. So I just launched the Female Firebrands podcast and episode two came out today, 
which is again, selfishly, because now I get to talk to more women because as yeah. you're saying, you know, there are, there are hundreds. It's not just that there are the 13 I put in the book and I've already met, I'm already recording season two only because doing this has opened a door to meeting so many more incredible women who I didn't know before. And it's, Absolutely. it's really fun and it's really inspiring. Yep. I agree. Me too. I get more requests for podcast interviews than I can keep up with. And I end up um, like posting more than one a week because there's so many good stories to share. It's hard to harness that. Yeah, that's amazing. So, congratulations on getting the podcast off the ground, the book. I think somebody in your email promised me a copy of the book. I hope she wasn't telling the Oh my gosh, no, she will get it to you. <laughs> Kylie is amazing. She loves sending out books. We've had a, a stash of books in the office and we just love that, that people are interested really and we want to open up. I want to well, go back I'm, to the. Oh, go I ahead. Say, I want to go back to the firebrands for a minute because I think you're right that as women we hold this you know really high standard and we might yeah. not always see ourselves or our friends and colleagues as a firebrand. Um, but this is one example. I was on a family vacation with another family and their children, and yeah, you know, I, I knew the mom, but I didn't know her extremely well. And as we got to talking, she is a doctor. She works part-time in urgent care because it gives her a very flexible schedule. She has three children, two are adopted from India, one is adopted from China. And, and the more I get to know about this woman, I'm like, she's amazing. I mean, this would be an incredible woman to feature. And so it's not that you have to be a CEO and right. you don't have to be Michelle Obama, Brene Brown or Melinda Gates, um, you know, to, to really be doing something amazing and have an incredible impact. Can you believe what you just did? You said uh, Michelle Obama, Brene Brown, and Melinda Gates. And I, as a as a girl from Texas who feels like Brene is like my sister from another mister, you know, I'm think how did she never imagine 20 years ago that she would be listed in a sentence among those people? Yeah. Isn't that amazing what a woman can do, the influence a woman can have by taking an idea and putting it on a platform? Yeah. And I know that so many of us have those ideas. Thank you so much for sharing these stories. I can't wait to get a copy of my book. This is the kind of book I want on my shelf. I, my, my passion in life is promoting and empowering women, helping them to build the strategies to, to do things like write that book or um, start that business, whatever it is that's burning inside of you. I want to um, help to grease the skids to make that happen. So thanks for your part in bringing this to the table. I love that. You know, the, the other side benefit that's been really fun. So having now written, one book, which by no means makes me an expert. But what happens is I've gotten introduced, especially to a number of women who are working on their first book. And so I'm at least a little bit further ahead in my journey than they are. Yeah. And I've met all of these really cool women authors who are working on their books. And, you know, that's been so much fun too. I, I had a call with one woman today and uh, it just opens up all of the, these doors that you wouldn't, nice. you wouldn't even anticipate. Absolutely. Uh, things will start to come together that you never anticipated or even imagined. And that's the fun thing about uh, having this, this open mind and, and pulling together different resources, putting people on a platform. It's fun. So now we have the, you know, the, the ultra most important question at the end of the day, um, when you're finished um, doing awesome things for companies and finished um, telling women's stories. What bottle of wine do you open at home? I think I saw a picture of a couple of them. 
Malbec? I love that question. And I can tell you, I used to drink a lot more bottles of wine when I was a little bit younger. But um, <laughs> there's a story behind both of these. I couldn't choose one. I had to choose two. The first one was a Malbec. And I, an Amazon colleague and I, several years ago, somehow stumbled on a bottle of Malbec. And we loved it. We just thought it was the best thing in the world. And it, it got to be this thing where every time she and I got together, we would have our bottle of Malbec. And I spent the three years in India. Well, in India, you can't get as many different wines and liquors and et cetera. And wine, it's not, it's not big there like it is here. So yeah. this colleague was traveling on business. She was coming to India to do some manager training. And would you believe she brought a bottle of that Malbec all the way from Seattle. And we got to share it together in India, which was really special. Nice. Uh, so that was one of mine. It's a local one uh, that I prefer from the Columbia Valley. And a second one is also fun, which is my husband and I went to do some wine tasting in Eastern Washington, where there was a lot of wine tasting. I know, boy, it's heaven to me. Love that place. <laughs> it's such a great, you know, when, whenever we're all allowed to go out again, uh, you should all go wine tasting in Eastern yes. Washington. I will. But my, <laughs> my husband and I stumbled on Treveri Cellars, which it's everything sparkling. So they okay. only do sparkling and they have a bubbly club. We signed up for Bubbly Club, and I think on my second case, I got a sparkling Syrah. And, and I've never seen a sparkling Syrah in my life, and Syrah is my favorite grape. I didn't know that there was such a thing, and it's, it's quite fabulous. And it's, um, at the time, it was under $20 bottle. I don't know, but it hovers somewhere in there. So it's, it's not an overly expensive wine, nice. but it's, it's really fun, and it's really unique so if you like red and you like bubbles it's just oh, perfect. And if you like syrah i'm there man um that's my favorite i'm very excited to go find that at my local wine shop i post awesome. all of these pictures of everyone's wine labels to my wine palace on pinterest so if you're out shopping and you're wondering what to get you can always cruise the labels on the wine palace <laughs> I will be doing that too because I need new ideas. I get you can tell I get stuck in my ruts from years ago. Well, you and it's do. hard to give up the favorites. That's what the fun thing about this podcast is asking for everybody's favorite label because it's in improving the quality of my wine palace and it's making it a lot more fun on a Saturday when I go to pick out a new wine. Well, thank you so much. I'm so, so grateful for having you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And I just, I love the spirit of what you're doing and the connection and engagement. It's uh, strange times right now with yeah. COVID-19, but I hope that people will, will take a break. And um, if you're in one of these, you know, places where there's not a lot of contact, do the virtual happy hour. I have more and more friends who are getting online and doing dinner, happy hour movies. So it's, it's a perfect time. That's a really good idea. I think I might, uh, copycat that. I do have a, a special group on Facebook that's called Women on the Grapevine. Maybe this is time to actually get that moving and uh, have our happy hour. I think so. Well, I hope you find the Syrah in time. Yes, yes. So we'll go looking for it this weekend. Thank you so much. I hope you have enjoyed happy hour every day with some extraordinary women making history during Women's History Month. I want you to know that you're not alone in the dreams and hopes that you're moving forward. I hope you find the strategies you need to live your own life by design through these stories. If you're finding this podcast helpful, would you do me a favor? 
hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and rate us. That's how we know what's working so we can get more really great guests on this podcast and reach more people with some life strategies that will raise the, t- the tide for all the boats <laughs> and stay in touch with us through all the usual places like 360 Life Strategies or Donna Carlson 360, wherever you hang out on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, or Pinterest, where I keep my wine palace. If you're in a wine store and you're not sure what to buy, that's what you need to look for. We'll talk to you again next month in April, where we are raising uh, wellness um, with all of that stuff that's going on in the world right now. It's a good time to talk about being healthy. See you then. Thank you.